Amen. Can we thank our worship team for leading us in uh, worship today? It's so good. And Haley basically preached my entire sermon uh, during her, uh, her word there, so that's great. So, uh, but you know, it's crazy as we were talking about the presence of God. Um, her and I did not talk about, like, this is what we're going to talk about, right? Um, it was just that in the presence of God, worshiping, um, what we're going to be looking at today is what the Lord laid on her heart, which I think is so cool. Um, so, yeah, super awesome. Uh, hey, uh, welcome to uh, Ignite City Church. Uh, my name is James Brom. Uh, I get the privilege of opening the word with you guys today. Uh, excited to do so. And um, we're going to be continuing our study in the book of Colossians. And guys, we made it. We made it. It's been two months. We got through one chapter. Come on. Let's go. All right? So by 2030, we're going to be through this thing. It's going to be great. So, um, but man, uh, excited to open the word with you guys today. Uh, and today's, today's fun. Um, the passage we're looking at today is super encouraging. Uh, you know, a lot of times when we, we, we come here and we hear the word, it's like kind of in your face and it, like, it hurts so good. It's kind of that kind of feeling, right? And, uh, but today, uh, today is just super encouraging. Uh, it's just super encouraging. And I just pray that uh, uh, those of you that are here, that you just walk out of this place uh, just super encouraged uh, about who God is, uh, encouraged about um, what God has for you, what God thinks about you and, and who you are in him. So, uh, so I just pray, man, that you guys be super, super encouraged today. So uh, let's pray and then we'll hop into it. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence. God, we thank you that, that you allow us uh, humans, creations, to somehow be in your presence and to somehow know you and to somehow, through the blood of Jesus and his righteousness, be made right with you. It's just such a beautiful thing. And I thank you, God, that you even allow us um, in a place like this, in a community, uh, when there's so many people around the world that can't gather, uh, that it's illegal to gather, um, that we can come as a church community, we can be in your presence, we can worship you freely, and uh, we just thank you so much for that privilege. Um, God, we pray that you encourage our hearts today, and uh, we thank you so much for this time to open your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Okay, so uh, we're going to be starting in uh, Colossians chapter 2. Like I said, we made it through the first chapter. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, before we hop into it, I spoke maybe three weeks ago, I think, something like that, and I kind of gave a background of the book of Colossians, and I think it's helpful just to kind of have the context of, of why this letter is written, what we're looking at. So uh, just to quickly give you a background on that, um, Paul probably never did a missionary trip to Colossae. Paul's the guy who wrote this letter. Uh, we don't see anywhere in his missionary journeys in, in the book of Acts that he ever went to Colossae. Uh, the closest uh, that we see is that he spent about three years ministering uh, in this very large city called uh, Ephesus. And in Ephesus, uh, there was, he was teaching, he was discipling people for three years. Uh, and it's believed that basically there's this one guy by the name of Epaphras, uh, that was a follower of Paul that then left Ephesus and started this church in Colossae, right? So Paul didn't plant this church specifically, uh, but obviously he was kind of a part of the faith journey of the guy that did, okay? Uh, Colossae is mainly Gentile, so not a lot of Jewish people. Um, and then Paul actually wrote this while he was in prison. And so basically the, the setup for the book is... Uh, Paul's in prison, and his friend Epaphras, who planted this church in Colossae, comes to him and says, hey, we're having trouble with these false teachings that are trying to infiltrate their way into our church. And our people are struggling with this, the doctrine that we've taught, the gospel, versus these things that they're hearing in culture and in community, right? And so the reason that Paul writes this letter is basically to kind of set the record straight for this is what truth is, this is what the gospel is, and to throw off kind of that other stuff, um, and so what was being taught, uh, the kind of false teaching that was being taught that people in Colossae were hearing uh, was this idea of Gnosticism. And so Gnosticism taught that everything that was spiritual, uh, everything that was uh, heavenly, that sort of thing, is good, is perfect, is pure, and everything that is physical, our body, all that stuff, uh, is bad, is impure. Uh, and it doesn't sound like it's that big of a deal, right, that it's like, okay, whatever, it's like, 
Oh, good, bad, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, but what, what they were teaching is that because they believed everything that was of the spirit was good and everything that was of the body is bad, anything that you did in the body didn't matter. And so they would teach their people, the teaching that they would give is to say, you can do whatever you want in your body. You can have, do whatever you want with whoever. You can put whatever in your body. Anything done in this life in the physical, God cares nothing about. And it has nothing to do with your salvation. It has nothing to do with your obedience to God, right? Uh, and that was the lie uh, that these Gnostic teachers were trying to infiltrate into the church. Uh, they also believed in worship of angels and demons. Uh, and because they were following a lot of Greek mythology, they believed that the Greek gods would never come down into their presence. So they would send these angels and demons that would interact with man. And so they would worship these angels and demons. Um, and finally, they taught that they had a super special knowledge, that the Gnostics taught that we have this very special, unique knowledge that's hidden away just for us. Nobody else can know about it. The only way I'm going to tell you about it is if you give me money, right? Or if you give me whatever I want. And I have this secret knowledge, and uh, if I'm going to share it with you, you got to make it worth my while, right? And so there was all this kind of weird hiddenness about it. And so those were kind of the main teachings that was kind of being infiltrated uh, within the church and the culture. And so when we look at the letter today, and basically as we look at this letter over the next eight years or whatever, uh, that's what you're going to see is that it's just basically this every single week he's trying to do this rebuttal of this false teaching that's happening uh, in this area and to kind of set the record straight and to give them truth. Um, so that's kind of what we're looking at today. So the focus of today's message is really cool. Um, it's really, we look at uh, Paul's desire, his desire, his goal, his aim for this church in Colossae. Um, and ultimately what it really represents is Paul's desire and goal for every church. And so when I was studying for this and looking at it, I kind of looked at it uh, uh, through the lens of our own church, of our own community, right? Um, and it's a beautiful prayer that he's kind of praying over the church and saying, this is, this is what God has for you. This is what I'm praying for you. This is what I desire for you. And so as we look at it today, we're going to kind of look at it in that context of having the understanding of like, this is our prayer for our church and our prayer for our community. Um, and how do we kind of align with that? So it's a uh, Super beautiful passage. I'm super pumped about it. So before we hop into chapter two, though, I want to read the passage we looked at last week uh, because it really kind of feeds into what we're looking at today. Um, and it's good to remember that like the books, they're letters. So it's not like chapters and verses. They didn't exist. It's just one long letter. And so we kind of break it up and put chapters and stuff. So we're going to look at what we kind of talked about yesterday to get an understanding or last Sunday to get an understanding for today. Uh, so chapter one, verse 24 Paul says this. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given uh, to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Amen. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all of his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Right, So he goes, uh, I love that passage because he goes, man, I rejoice in my sufferings. I, I rejoice in the hardships and the things that are coming my way because I know God is using that in order to communicate the gospel to you, right? And at the end of that passage, he says, and for this, I toil uh, for you guys, for people to come to know Jesus. He's like, man, I toil, I struggle, I pray, I, like I'm struggling uh, in the hope that others would come to know Jesus, Right? And so then this is what he says in uh, verse 1, starting in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face. Right? So he's saying, man, I, I, was, I have this, I'm toiling and I'm struggling and all that stuff. And he's like, I want you to know how great this struggle I have for you is. He's like, I'm struggling in prayer. I'm begging the Lord for you. I'm like, I'm on my knees begging the Lord for you, Right? And I love this picture because what's really interesting to, to understand is Paul never went to Colossae, right? Paul does not know these people. He's never met them, right? He even says, for those of you I haven't seen face to face, right? He does not know these people. Yet 
he's struggling in prayer, just struggling in prayer for these people to know Jesus and to grow in Jesus and have a deeper relationship with Jesus. And I think that's just so powerful because I'm like, we don't do that, right? Like, we don't pray for people we don't know, right? But he's like intensely in prayer for this entire church that he wasn't a part of planning. He wasn't a part about it. He had nothing to do with it uh, except for inversely, I guess, from, uh, you know, from leading the pastor to Christ or whatever. Uh, but nevertheless, that he's just engaged in prayer uh, for, for this church. And it just reminded me of uh, when we have uh, Chris Shore come up uh, once a month and, and go through kind of our monthly prayer focus. And I think this month we're praying for uh, the work of God in the Muslim world. And I was just thinking about that, like, you know, we're joining in prayer with all of the world to pray for people that we'll never meet, right? We'll never know this side of heaven, what happened, what our prayers did, anything like that, right? Um, But yet we struggle in prayer and we join in prayer as a community, believing that God will do a mighty work, right? And on the other side of heaven, like we'll get to see the work of that, right? And I think that's just so powerful. Um, And so as Paul's praying, we're going to see three kind of goals, three kind of aims, desires he has for the church. And it's the same really goals and desires we have for this church community. Um, And so there's kind of three main ones we're going to hit today. And again... um, It's awesome. You guys are going to love it. So uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 2, he says this. He says, this is first prayer. Goal number one, that their hearts may be encouraged. So if you think about all the things that he could have prayed for the church, right? He could have been, I don't know, whatever he wanted them to do, whatever, anything he could pray for. The very first thing he said is he goes, man, I just want their hearts to be encouraged. To be encouraged. Um, That word encouragement, it means to uh, give support Uh, confidence, hope. And so Paul is saying that based on all of my sufferings and all the stuff going on, I I want, even in my sufferings, I want people to be encouraged. And and, and I want as people hear my story and and as, as, as we're praying for people that they would just be encouraged in their belief of knowing God. Uh, And he just prays for encouragement, which I think is so cool. And I think as a church community, uh, we're supposed to encourage one another right? Um, the world, have you ever found that the world is pretty discouraging? You ever found that, right? Uh, life can be pretty discouraging. Um, parenting can be pretty discouraging, right? Um, man, but life can be discouraging, right? And I think it's so cool that the first thing that he prays, he's like, man, I want, I want you guys, to, your hearts to be encouraged, and I think as so much of the world, of our culture, of, you know, when we go into the world, there's so many discouraging things. And he goes, man, I just, I just want your hearts to be encouraged and that we should be encouraging one another. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 says this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I love that passage, right? Because he says, man, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Uh, There's two words in there that I think are so powerful. One, he says, let us consider. Consider means that we're going to think about it. That means I'm going to look around at the people in my life. I'm going to look around at this community, and I'm going to say, man, who needs encouragement, right? That I'm not, I'm not going to look around and be like, oh, I, you know, who's going to focus on me, or what do I need, what are my needs? No, no, no. It's just I'm going to look around and say, man, who needs to be encouraged today, right? And he says, let us consider how to stir up. Uh, I don't know if you guys have stirred anything before, but stirring requires this action, right? There's like this motion that you got to do, right? So he's saying, we got to think about it, and then we got to do this action of going around and being an encouragement uh, to others, which I think is so cool. Um, And the church, this community, and the church as a whole, man, this should be a place of encouragement. This should be a place where people walk in super discouraged, and they walk out super encouraged, right? And no matter, what, no matter what you are here and you think about Jesus, if you think he's awesome, you think he's crazy, anywhere in between, uh, that at least if you walk in here and you go, you know what, though? Man, that community, that place, it was encouraging, right? Um, and that's the prayer that Paul has uh, for, this, uh, for this community. And then I love in that verse in Hebrews, 
um, he says something that I think is so powerful. He says uh, that we should be focused on encouraging one another, and he says, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so that day he's talking about is the second coming of Jesus. That day he's talking about is that day when Jesus comes and takes us home. Right, when we don't have the strifes of this world anymore and no more tears and no more cancer and none of that. And he goes, that's what we should be encouraging each other with because I think sometimes, sometimes life is kind of discouraging, right? But sometimes life is super discouraging, right? Um, sometimes you've been praying for things for years and they've never, nothing's changed, right? Um, you know, I know for me, I've been, uh, I've had like a, chronic pain that I've been dealing with for like 15 years and been praying constantly for God to do something and he hasn't chosen to, right? Uh, And when you go through stuff like that, right, um, the regular encouragement like just isn't enough, you know? (laughs) Um, And I think that's what's so powerful about this passage is he's saying when it's not enough, what we got to encourage each other with is the fact that we have this hope. We have this hope of this coming of Jesus, that no matter what we experience in this world, if we've given our lives to Jesus, there's gonna be a day when he takes us home and we're in his presence and we hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on, welcome into my kingdom, right? And so he says, when it's really hard, when it's really discouraging, encourage each other with that that he's coming back for us to take us home. And I, I, I love that idea, um, particularly because I've been reading through Second um, Corinthians. And, uh, and I, I was reading through a couple days ago, and there's this one, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4, and Paul just goes on this big list of all this crazy stuff he's experiencing. And he's like, man, I've been beat and I've been struck down and I've been destroyed and I've been shipwrecked and I've gone through everything and people tried to stone me and people tried to kill me and it goes through this long, long list where you kind of go like, man, dudes, dudes had it rough, right? Then, then you're like, if anybody should be kind of down or discouraged or like, you know, whatever, it should be this guy, right? Um, but then he says this, which I think is just one of the most powerful verses um, 2 Corinthians 4, 17, after just laying out all this crazy stuff, all this super hard, discouraging stuff that he's experienced, he says this. He says, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And so when you look at the life of Paul, you go, dude, the stuff that you've experienced, it's not light, it's heavy, right? And it's not momentary, it's continual. And you look at your own life and you're like, dude, my stuff is heavy. My stuff has lasted for 15 years or 20 years or 30 years. And you go, man, it's, it's not light and momentary, it's, it's heavy and it's ongoing, right? But the point that he makes is not that he's just has no way, he's just totally ignorant, But the point that he's making is this. He says, when I compare my afflictions, when I compare what's going on in my life to the eternal weight of glory and the eternal hope that I have in Jesus, it goes, man, they're just, it's just light. It's just momentary. You know, yeah, it's 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, but um, compared to the eternal weight of glory and hope I have in Jesus, it's just, it's just light. It's just it's just here and it's gone, it's a vapor, right? And I just love that perspective that he has, right? And, and I think when we think about how do we encourage each other, that we, as we're pointing each other to the fact that Jesus will one day be calling us home, and we can look at what we're experiencing in this life and just remember that it's just this life. It's just here and then it's gone. It's just light and momentary in comparison to the heavy an eternal weight of glory. Amen? Amen. Um, and then I think the other thing that we, I just thought was kind of cool um, is that you and I actually need encouragement, and like I need encouragement from you, and you need encouragement from me. Like As a community, we need each other. Uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 1, uh, he says, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, 
That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. And I think it's just really good to remember that even somebody like Paul, he's this hero of the faith, he wrote most of the New Testament, and he's still a guy that he's like, and I still need encouragement, you know, I still need encouragement. And I think if Paul needs encouragement, that just tells me uh, that we all do, right, that we all do. So um, uh, the second goal, second aim that he's praying, uh, he says, uh, uh, first off, right, that, um, that their hearts may be encouraged. Goal number two was that they would be knit together in love that they'd be knit together in love. Uh, and, I, and I love that picture, because when I think of knitting, uh, any knitters out there? Any, yeah, come on, all right. All right, so, you know, like you're knitting, right? You're going over and under, and you got like crazy patterns, and by the time you're done with the thing, it's like super, like, it's all up in there, right? And that's the picture that he's having of like, um, us being knit together in love, right? That as we're, as we're doing this thing, as we're seeking out love and seeking out love for one another, that it gets so knit, uh, knit and entwined in our lives that there's no way that you can separate us from love, right? Um, and even more powerfully, I think that word knit is the very same word that, um, that David uses in his psalm, I think it's Psalm 139, uh, where he's talking and he says that uh, you've knit me together in my mother's womb, right? It's that same, uh, that same word, which basically is this picture of that, when you think of a mother and a child, right, that you think of um, that the, they're so connected, right? And that everything is coming from the, from the mother's body that is raising the kid and growing the kid and feeding the kid and sustaining. That's this picture of that, like, love should knit us together like that as a community, which I think is just uh, a super beautiful picture of what love in a community should look like. Um, and then sometimes, you know, uh, in a setting like this, um, maybe in families or workplaces or whatever, uh, sometimes there's people that are hard to love, Right? Anybody know anybody that's hard to love? Anybody? Anybody sitting next to somebody that's hard to love? Amen? Okay. Uh, yeah, so, you know, sometimes, sometimes people are hard to love, right? Uh, and I think the reality is, if we're honest with ourselves, you, you're probably harder to love than they are, right? Um, and if, uh, so we can give everybody a little bit of grace and say, hey, yeah, sometimes it's hard to love people. Sometimes we just don't like people, right? And it's like, you know, I'll love you, but I don't like you, right? And that's, right? I mean, that's the reality, right? So... But what I think what's important to know about love is, according to God, love is not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's not a, I like that person, so I'm going to engage in, in showing love to that person. Uh, love is a command. It's a choice. And so, if we're going to be obedient to God, we have to love each other. <laughs> uh, we have to be knit together in love, even with the people that you don't like so much, Right? Sometimes, you know? Um, and so I guess my encouragement to you, if, if that's, if I'm sure that's all of us, I'm sure we all know somebody that's awkward or hard or whatever. Um, when it's awkward and when it's hard, love anyway, right? We love out of obedience, right? We love because we have chosen to love, you know? We have chosen to obey God and God tells us to love and he himself is love, right? And so, um, yeah, I know that sometimes we like to put qualifiers on love and we like to say, like, this person's deserving of it, this person isn't, that sort of thing. Um, but the reality is we don't get to make that choice, right? Uh, it's a command. Uh, and the choice that we are to make in obedience uh, is to love. Uh, first Peter, uh, Peter says it this way in First Peter uh, chapter 4, verse 8. He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Um, that word earnestly, it means sincere and intense conviction. Sincere and intense conviction. Uh, the other uh, word for it is seriously, right? So he's saying, man, keep loving one another for real, right? Not pretend, seriously, intent, with intense conviction, choosing intensely. I'm going to love people anyway, right? Uh, because it's a choice. It's something that we do out of obedience, not a feeling that we have. And then I just want to read uh, 1 Corinthians 13. If you've ever been to a wedding, you've probably heard this read a bunch. Uh, but when we're talking about love, you can't talk about love and not read 1 Corinthians 13. So here we go. 
Um, it's kind of long, but it's awesome. Uh, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. For love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Uh, and then picking up in verse 13, he says, Man, after everything has passed away, all that remains is faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Amen? And Paul's third goal uh, that we see in Colossians chapter 2, verse 2, uh, he says that to reach all the riches, and this is like where if you're a prosperity gospel guy, we're going to stop right there, right? Like, God wants us to have all the riches, right? Uh, unfortunately, there's more to the statement, so yeah, you're going to have to I'll leave that one aside. But uh, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. And so I love that he talks about riches because um, what Paul is really telling us here is like, hey, you want to be filthy, wealthy in the kingdom of God? You just want to be stupid rich in the kingdom of God? This is what it looks like, right? It looks like full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, and knowing Christ. So we're going to kind of break those up and kind of talk through it, okay? So the first one he says, he says, full assurance of understanding, uh, that word full means containing or holding as much as possible, having no empty space, not lacking or omitting anything, complete, right? So he's saying uh, it's full assurance. It's complete assurance. There's no room for any more assurance, right? We're not lacking anything. That's full assurance of understanding of our eternal destiny, right? Do you guys have full assurance like when you think about your faith journey, when you think about yourself, when you think about what God says about you, and when you think about dying one day and being in heaven or not, when you think about that, do you have full assurance of your eternal destiny? Biblically speaking, we should. We should. And the reality is... Uh, a lot of us probably don't. We probably have, I don't know, maybe. I hope so, <laughs> right? I have questions or, you know, whatever. Um, I read this quote by this pastor uh, on, this t uh, on this verse, and I thought it was just awesome. He said, Christians without full assurance is like someone sitting at a huge banquet table or going to a buffet covered in food, and they're starving, Right? That's that picture of somebody that has given their life to Jesus that doesn't have full assurance, that it's like, you go to this huge buffet, this huge banquet table, and you're like, my God, there's food everywhere, right? There's steak and more steak and a little bit more, right? Uh, and ice cream and whatever, like uh, mashed potatoes, whatever it be, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, so like it's this picture of this huge banquet table with food everywhere, or it's a buffet where you grab a plate and you walk up and there's endless food, right? And he said, a Christian Without full assurance is like somebody that goes into that situation and is starving, is absolutely hungry. And you and I would walk up and you'd be like, hey, dummy, go grab a plate. Like, what are you doing, right? Like, this, like we, we wouldn't even be able to, like, you're, everything is here for you, right? And in the same way, when we think about full assurance, uh, for those of us that have given our life to Jesus, we should have complete full assurance. We shouldn't be hungry. We shouldn't be starving because everything that we need like, is here for us to believe, right? And so the reason that you and I become less assured, if you really kind of think about it, is you probably become less assured because of your own sin, right? That you look at your own life and you're like, man, um, 
I know myself. Like, I know what I did last weekend. I know what I did, you know, two months ago. I, you know, uh, I know what I was thinking the other day. Uh, I know how I raised my voice with my kids. I know, like, whatever. And you can go through the list and you go, man, I know myself, right? And because we know ourselves, and we look at our sin and we go, ugh. If I were to die today, man, I don't know, because God saw me, you know, do that thing or think that thing or say that thing, right? And that, and that feeling is what causes us to not have assurance, is when we look at ourselves, you know? Um, and what's interesting about that idea is, think about when you first uh, came to Christ. When you first gave your life to Jesus, you were fully and completely a sinner, not covered any righteousness, anything like that, right? Um, and you gave your life to God because you believed without a shadow of a doubt that because of God's truth and God's promises and what he says, that um, if I give my life to Jesus, that my sin is going to be covered, right? And you were fully assured in the moment that you gave your life to Jesus that he was going to provide you salvation and that he was going to see it through all the way to heaven and that you had this eternal destiny with him and so you gave your life to Jesus. And then you think about now and we look at our sin and then it causes us to go, man, I don't know. And I think the interesting question is, what changed? What changed? The Bible tells us in Hebrews that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Between that moment that you gave your life to Jesus and you believed and were fully assured that your salvation was cleared and guaranteed to now, uh, God has not changed. <laughs> He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so here's the lie that the enemy tells us and that you and I like to believe. We like to believe that God did this great work of salvation and then it's now my job to keep it. Now, it's my job to safeguard my salvation, right? Um, if that's where you're at, if it's our job to safeguard our salvation, we are all screwed. Amen? If it's our job to safeguard, to keep ourselves saved, uh, guys, it's over. That's, we're done with, okay? Um, but here's the reality. This is what it says in Jude 24. He says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So he says, now to him, he, Jesus, he is able to keep you from stumbling. And he is able to present you blameless before the presence of his glory, right? It's not you and I that safeguard our salvation, it's him. And he is faithful. And he is trustworthy. We see elsewhere in scripture that it says, of all the promises of God, they all find their yes in Jesus. And so if Jesus is faithful, if he is good, if he has said, I've started a work in you and I will complete it, then he is able to present us holy and blameless before him and we can be assured, right? Um, and I think sometimes uh, the things that I think about is I think about like my own worthiness. Does anybody do that where you like look at look at who God is, and, and sometimes you just go like, gosh, it's, so, it's, it's too much. That's like, I just feel like, I'm like, God, you're, you're too good, you know? Um, and we have this feeling of like, ah, I'm not worthy. Uh, you know, I believe all the stuff that, that it says, but it's like, ah, oh, you know, I'm not worthy. And, and, and our worthiness and our, you know, our lack of worthiness and our sin is what kind of draws us there. And I was just reminded as I was praying through it today um, that you and I, we were never worthy, Right? <laughs> Like, if you think about it, like, we have this feeling of, like, man, you know, uh, in this life, in our culture, there's so much about worth and value and all that kind of stuff. Um, but you and I, our worth never dictated uh, what God thought about us, right? Like, our being worthy of him uh, isn't a thing, right? Because if you think about it, uh, you and I, I, we were never worthy to be created, right? 
We were never worthy to be saved. We were never worthy for God to come in the form of a man and to take our sin and and put it on the cross and be crucified. We're never worthy for, for him to rise again and to resurrect. We're not worthy that he can put my sin to death and I could be raised to new life in Jesus. Right? We're not worthy that he's like, hey, I'm gonna give you the Holy Spirit as a guarantee, just as a promise that tells you, man, there's eternity locked away in your heart, right? And it's like, and we're not worthy that Jesus wants to heaven and he's going to prepare a place for us. And we're not worthy that one day we're gonna be in his presence and he will accept us in, right? We're not worthy of that. And so it's like, we were, we were never worthy. You know what I mean? Like, and so when you have that thought of like, man, you know, oh, I'm not worth this or whatever, it's like, you need to throw that stuff out, right? Because it's by the grace of God that we're saved. Uh, you were never worthy. Um, and I think that's awesome, right? Uh, Paul says it this way in 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, uh, and I love this. Uh, so he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of which I am the worst. <laughs> Anybody feel like that sometimes, right? He says, of which I am the worst. He's like, man, and this is Paul. He's the hero. He's the, he's the guy, right? And so he says, man, Jesus came to save sinners, and I'm the worst, right? But then he also says this in Romans chapter 8. Uh, and this is one of my favorite passages, it's awesome. And in talking about assurance, he says, for I am sure, I am confident, I know absolutely, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, amen? So this guy that says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of which I am the worst, can also say, I am absolutely convinced and fully assured of my eternal destiny. How can that guy do that? And here's the truth, guys. Our assurance of our eternal destiny is not based on your performance. It's based on his character based on his character. And so if you ever have that thought where you go, oh gosh, you know, I don't know now because I did this or that, you throw that junk out. Because it was never based on your performance, it's always based on his character. And if he is faithful, if he is trustworthy, if he is a promise keeper, and we believe him at his word and what he says, then we can have full assurance and should have full assurance of our eternal destiny. Amen? And the other thing that he says that he prays for them in uh, verse two and three, he says, and I also pray that, the, that you have the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so when I spoke a few weeks ago, I talked about how um, in the chapter one, it talks about Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Uh, and out in the Old Testament, in all the temples, in all of the Jewish faith, there was never an idol. Uh, there was never, never an image, a picture, never anything that they would bow down and worship. And then when Jesus comes on the scene, uh, God finally says, this is the image. This is the exact imprint. This is the exact representation of who I am, right? And that, that word that he uses for image, it's the same word that we would talk about of having a, a, a picture of somebody on a coin uh, or the reflection in a mirror, that it's like when God looks in a mirror, uh, the reflection of that is Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, right? Um, and the knowledge, this mystery that Paul's talking about, this crazy mystery is that you and I can know God. That you and I can know God. And sometimes we take that like just really just, yeah, like, oh yeah, okay, I can know God or whatever. Um, like think about that. Like the creator of the universe did all of the work for salvation that he did with the great desire that he would know you and that you would know him intimately and personally. And this mystery, this is the crazy part. In the Old Testament, uh, when God's spirit would come upon somebody, when they, were gonna, they had a purpose, something that they were gonna do, God's spirit would come on them for a time, for a limited amount of time, here's this goal, this thing you gotta do, and then as soon as they accomplished it, the spirit left, right? 
And then this mystery, this crazy mystery Paul's talking about is like, God's spirit stays with you. God's spirit lives in you. And this mystery is, is Christ in us, our hope of glory. And we can know him, right? And he says, in whom, Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That word all means all, just in case you're wondering. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. That as we seek Jesus, he reveals wisdom and knowledge and understanding. He allows us to know God better. And in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Um, when you and I think of something being hidden, uh, like I think of like hide and seek or if like I'm trying to hide something from the kids, right? When you and I hide something, what we do is we take it and we put it somewhere where it can't be seen, right? That's how you and I think of hidden, right? Um, but in the economy of God, when he says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, these aren't things that are hidden from us. These are things that are hidden in Christ for us. It's hidden in Christ for us. And as you and I seek God, as you and I seek Jesus, he reveals himself in a greater and greater way and all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in him. And I say this every time I speak and it's like, I just think it's the most crazy thing is that like, do you guys realize like we get to know God as much as we want? And then when you get to that like pinnacle of you're like, gosh, I know God more than I ever have. You barely know anything. <laughs> There's more and more and more and more and more and more of him that he is this unending wealth of knowledge and wisdom and understanding. And all he says is that it's hidden in Christ. Come seek me and find it. Right? Uh, Jesus said in John 16, when he's talking about um, when he's gonna leave, he tells his disciples that, hey, it's gonna be great for you when I leave uh, because when I leave, then the spirit of truth is gonna come. And then he says in uh, John 16, 13, he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth for he will take what is mine, Jesus's, and he will declare it to you, right? And that's just the beautiful power that we have this Holy Spirit as a guarantee this, this spirit that lives in us and the spirit's job is to, to declare to us what is Jesus's, what is hidden in him and to make it known to us. And what a just beautiful picture that is. And so all of this, Paul says in verse four, he says, I say all this, my prayer for you, right, that your hearts would be encouraged, that you would be knit together in love, that you would have full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery of Jesus. And he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Uh, and, and so this is where he starts the conversation about talking about Gnostics and basically the false teaching that was kind of coming around in the community, right? And he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you, deceive you with plausible arguments. Um, but I love that word plausible because have you ever found that like when somebody says something totally crazy, like you instantly go, hey, that's crazy, right? Right? Like that's our normal context, right? Of like, no, that's a crazy person, right? That's what we think, right? So what Paul's saying here is, those things are easy to, to kind of just throw out, right? But what he's saying is that when it comes to false teaching and doctrine and things like that, he's like, the lies of the enemy and the lies of culture, they're subtle and they're plausible, which means we can look at it and we could say, hey, that sounds reasonable. Maybe. It sounds possible, you know? Like that's, that's what a plausible argument is, right? And he says, those are the things those are the things that trip us up, and those are the things that are incredibly destructive and are deceiving us, and that is why he has this prayer for this community and our community, that we would be encouraged and uh, that our hearts would be encouraged, that we'd be knit together in love, and that we would have a full assurance of our eternal destiny, and that we would know God and know him intimately well, so that when those subtle lies come, when those plausible arguments come that we can, we can say, no, 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 this is my foundation, right? And that we can settle on that stuff. Um, 
He says in verse five, for though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and firmness of your faith. Uh, and I think this is so cool too because he's writing this whole letter and he's saying, hey, these are the things I'm praying for you and this is what I see in you. But in verse five, he says, but I'm rejoicing to see your good order uh, and your firmness of your faith. And so what he's saying is like, you guys aren't being tripped up by this. This isn't a, a letter that's like, smacking you in the head, right? This is just a reminder, right? It's just a reminder of like, this is the reality of what the enemy is trying to do in your life. This is a reality of, of the lies that culture can infiltrate. This is the reality of when we add politics into our Christianity or when we add whatever into our Christianity or we add whatever the idea of the day is or we add whatever lie the enemy tells us into our Christianity, um, it's a reminder. That's why we got to stronghold this thing, right? But I love that he says, uh, that he's like, man, I rejoice to see this stuff. And I was just thinking as, uh, as this is almost kind of a prayer for our community, um, this community is awesome, you guys. Um, you guys are awesome. Um, this church is incredible. I don't go to a bunch of other churches uh, because I'm here all the time, right? But I, I assume ours is the best. <laughs> um, but, uh, but no, like you guys, uh, you guys are just awesome. This community is awesome. You guys are incredibly encouraging um, and loving and, and like, you know, we, we, hit, we hit the word pretty hard and you guys receive it and respond to it. Um, I've been a part of other churches where uh, there's a, a lot of complaining and there's a lot of, um, you know, I give and so because I give, you should do what I say and all those kinds of things. And like, we just don't have that here. Um, we just got a community of people that love Jesus that want to know him more and want their friends and family and coworkers and the world to know him, you know? And I think that's just so beautiful. So, um, you know, so I, I think this reminder for us, though, is to keep it up, right? Continue to be encouraging one another. Continue to make this place the place of encouragement. Continue to lean into love and, 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 and continue to, to seek and know Jesus more and more and continue to be kind of wrapping yourself in the truth of what God says about you, that you can be sure of your eternal destiny. Um, yeah, I just think that's awesome. So you guys are great. Um, I want to have the band come back up as we, as we close. Uh, I want to look at uh, verse 6 and 7, and I think this is just such a sweet statement. It's so simple and so profound. Um, and Paul says this. He says, therefore... So whenever we see therefore in the Bible, we say, what's it there for, right? Okay, so therefore, what we just talked about, right? All that stuff about encouraging our hearts, uh, about being, uh, being uh, knit together in love, having full assurance, knowing God, right? He says, because of all that, as you received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. And I think uh, as we've been walking with Jesus for a long time, um, as we've been hit with the lies of the enemy, the, the subtle, plausible arguments of the enemy, as we are just in culture and culture tries to shift uh, God's word and God's truth in us and stuff starts kind of get infiltrated into our thinking or we start putting qualifiers in front of the word Christian because we're like, well, I'm a Republican Christian or a Democrat Christian or a postmodern Christian or a progressive Christian or whatever. Like he says, we throw all that junk out, Right. And he says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, you did not receive him with a qualifier. You received him as he is. And he says, as you received him, so walk in him. And if you look at your life and you're like, I've added stuff. I've, I've taken, you know, the enemy has twisted my mind. I've been believing lies. I've been taking what culture is saying. I've been adding my own politics or my own qualifier or my own whatever to what this is, he says, man, throw that stuff off, and as you received him, so walk in him, right? And so he says, being rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And so as we walk with him, as we seek him, as we abide in him, that's what he's doing. He's deepening roots. He's building us up more and more into his likeness. Um, and the outflow of that is is thankfulness, is thanksgiving. Um, and I think that's just beautiful. So um, what I wanted to kind of uh, pray over you guys is um, this week, uh, I did in my morning devotional uh, with Jesus and, and stuff like that, I, um, in, in my kind of journaling section, I wrote this kind of identity statement uh, that I read every morning that is just kind of a reminder to me 
to kind of get my mind right of, of who I am, uh, who, who Jesus says I am, um, and, and it's for all of us. And I just basically took all the stuff that it says in Ephesians 1 about our identity in Christ, and I put it in a statement that I read every day to encourage myself. And uh, since this is a super kind of encouraging passage, I just wanted to pray that all over you guys. So if you guys wouldn't mind, would you stand, and then uh, and you just bow your head and kind of receive this. I am a child of God, a son or daughter of the king, an heir of God. I am loved and perfectly cared for. I am accepted and adored. I am sufficient and enough. I am righteous and blessed. I am rescued and set apart for his glory. I am justified and sanctified. I am created in his image. I am made alive in Christ, and I am indwelt with the Holy Spirit. I am the beloved of God in God's special possession. I am free and I am no longer a slave to sin. I am redeemed through his blood and forgiven by him because of his sacrifice for me. I am holy and blameless before him. I was predestined by him and chosen in him before the creation of the world. I am known by him and he has made himself known to me. I am his and he is mine. Amen. And so, Lord Jesus, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are, who have you you've revealed yourself to be, how you have made us, how you saved us, how you changed us, how you died for us, how you rose again, how you gave us your spirit, how you go to prepare a place for us, and that one day we will be in your presence and we will hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome into my kingdom. And that's our hope, our hope of glory, God. And God, it's too much, it's too wonderful. And we thank you so much for the love that you have for us. And pray this morning, God, that you'd encourage our hearts, that you'd knit us together in love, that you would give us a full, complete assurance of understanding of our eternal destiny, and that you would allow us to know you more and more intimately, we pray. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.